1: Here in New York, still just about to get my flight home, and I'm joined with Ian. Right, right, right. Ian, how was it on TV last night?
0: Oh, wonderful, 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 Mr. Paul Brown. Good to see the Brownies get the first win of the year.
1: Excellent. And Ian, I believe you're on a new mic, you sounding very nice.
0: Yeah, you know, I said all of my friends give me some feedback, they, uh, of course, have subscribed to the Paul Brown podcast, as everybody should. And they said, hey, you sound muffled sometimes. Sometimes it's breaking and out. So, much to the dismay of my fiance, I went and picked myself up on the podcast, mic to uh, hopefully make me sound a little bit closer than your uh, beautiful, soothing English tones.
1: Mate, you sound wonderful. I'm just on an iPhone with some headphones in a really noisy airport. So, uh, I'm embarrassed how bad I sound and how great you sound. But anyway, we're not a, a podcast rating uh, podcast. Let's talk about the Browns. Out of 10, how would you have rate the Browns uh, last night?
0: You know, they won, but they didn't exactly do it in the most uh, beautiful fashion. So I would say six and a half. You know, I think there's still a lot of room for improvement. You know, I know that you and Jack sometimes will break down the grades amongst the different uh, groups, which we could do. But um, overall, I would say six and a half.
1: Yeah, Jack's currently uh, can't talk at the moment. So uh, he's had his two fouls. And he should be able to do a podcast tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. But, yeah, let's, let's, let's start with the um, – uh, I'll talk about the atmosphere as we're going along. I'll talk to you about how it actually happened with the Browns as a fan. But, yeah, let's start with the offense. Um, from, from my side in the stadium, I thought we looked okay. We looked a bit uh, dis- disjointed at times. But otherwise, generally it was okay. But what did you see on the TV?
0: So the one thing I noticed is, and I thought they made a a sizable improvement now, it's it's obviously a step up from week one because we had our left tackle playing left tackle and our right tackle playing right tackle. But I thought many of the issues that we saw in the first game with the offensive line worked themselves out. I know that uh, Baker was sacked three times, but in some of those cases, he's a guy who's a playmaker. You know, there was a couple he held onto the ball a little long, and I think he knows that and will take ownership of those sacks. But overall, from an offensive standpoint, I thought they looked better, but I still think they have a, a lot of room for improvement.
1: Yeah, a lot of the fans in, this, in the stadium were saying, it just doesn't look like Be- uh, Baker, the same Baker we saw last year.
0: Well, the one thing that's challenging is, is you're going up against a defensive coordinator who knows Baker. You know, he worked with him for a year, and – How that's important is Freddie and Baker developed a a set of system of equations so they know check downs, they know first reads. So you have somebody like Greg Williams, who if you watch on a lot of those plays, Greg Williams was doing a great job taking away Baker's first option and blitzing at the point of the option. So he had familiarity with kind of what the Browns were trying to do systematically on offense, and he was able to kind of combat that. So I thought the Browns, where I do give them some points, they were able to adjust on the fly and kind of counter Greg Williams' plan. To attack
1: yeah, so I was watching Greg Williams. I was uh, quite high up behind him. But all that he was doing was keeping his head dead straight, just looking at what the Browns were doing. He was re- reading everything that Baker, the um, Freddie Kitchens was doing. He was just zoned out, just looking. Then giving the call, what he thought Baker was about to do.
0: Yeah, one of the things I noticed, and I'm sure the Browns may be setting this up, but if you watch on, if you go back and watch on some of those slip screens, you know, the one to Jarvis underneath or the one to Beckham, if you watch Jamal Adams or Marcus May steps right up to the point of the attack. So whoever's releasing through, in one case it was Jarvis on the, um, the second and goal after the Odell one handed catch. But if you watch, they pushed all forward to stop the screen and you see the receiver release free to the end. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Browns are setting that up where teams jump that bubble screen and then they hit them over the top because that, I think on two occasions, I saw that being over. So.
1: Yeah. The the one thing I want to say about Greg Williams while we're on the subject is no one, no one has picked this up anywhere, but um, a bit like Randall did to Hugh Jackson was Baker uh, when it was over near the uh, jet send, and he slapped Greg Williams on the ass, and no one's picked it up in the NFL. So um, yeah, I witnessed it with my own eyes, and I thought it was quite funny. Uh, to add more fuel to the fire, I actually met Greg Williams afterwards.
0: I saw your and photo. Blake Williams.
1: Yeah, me. So I, I, I used to message Blake Williams uh, quite a lot, and uh, he was always interested into English soccer, and so um yeah. Anyway, I saw Blake, and he introduced me to his dad, and we had a for a chat for about one or two minutes and sorry noise in the background and yeah absolutely humble guy super nice and
0: uh yeah just uh just I,
1: all the time the world speaks to me I have a photo then send me the photo i'll sign it for you yeah just an absolute nice guy nothing that you see anything like on hard knocks
0: well a lot of the players issues isn't with greg williams the person you know from every all accounts just like you said i mean he is a guy who just expects a lot out of his players. But sometimes, schematically, and you saw this in a couple occasions, you know, he had taken away uh, Baker's first read, it uh, was the first drive of the game. Baker ended up throwing to his third option, which was all the way back across the field to Ernest Johnson. But if you look, the Jets had a great scheme um, on the short side of the field there to Baker's right. Baker just improv comes back to the left. You know, sometimes with Greg Williams' systems, players make plays. I mean, that. That catch that Beckham made down the sidelines with the one hand, I don't think the defensive back could have better coverage. I mean, the ball was perfectly placed, and that's the thing. When you have dynamic players like the Browns do, you can overcome a good-schemed play on defense. I mean, right before the uh, halftime, Jarvis comes across the middle and Baker throws a rope. I mean, 25 yards on the numbers, boom, they get up nine seconds later, the ball's spiked and they're kicking a field goal. I mean, sometimes good players beat great schemes. And I, in the case of Beckham's, you know, 89-yard house call, I don't know what Marcus May was doing, but from a standpoint of def- uh, defensively, they were going hat-to-hat hat and Beckham made one move and boom, gone. So it's a little bit of a boomer bust, which a lot of Browns fans saw last year. Um, but overall – I think Greg Williams got a couple shots in there from, you know, what he was looking to do. And that's why I think the offense just sputtered a little bit. You know, I thought Chubb had a good game, not great, um, but definitely, definitely room for improvement. And I, you know, I think that there's one thing that the, the team's really going to build on going against the Rams is just trying to continue the momentum. The other thing I wanted to kind of mention about the offensive line play. You know, there was two things I really saw that I thought was worth note. Um, that was the play of Betonio and Cush. If you watch the, um, the Nick Chubb touchdown run, you'll see Betonio has a nice kickout block. Cush actually has two defenders in his vision, and he takes the inside guy, gets the block, lets go. So there's no question about the holding, which allows Chubb to kind of house call it. So I thought from an offensive line standpoint, I, know, I think Robinson had one holding penalty. Um, I don't think we had any false starts off the top of my head. I thought they did a pretty good job there. Um, but in the same breath, I thought the guard play was uh, pretty good. Um, I know we had a lot of power runs to the right. Um, and, you know, Chubb ended up having an, a pretty decent game on the ground. You know, I think that the Jets kind of stacked the boxes in a couple senses when the Browns went with the heavy packages. Um, so I would like to see them maybe get Chubb out in space a little bit more with some better designed run plays. Um, but for the most part, I thought Push was really stout. Um, and I thought that the overall the offensive line pretty, played pretty well holistically as a unit. What were your thoughts on the offensive line? For those not watching at home, Paul is doing his nice best impression to run through the New York airport. So,
1: um, yeah, basically Baker um, had, seemed to have a lot of time, and the O-line seemed to held up reasonably quite well during, during the game. Obviously, um, Greg uh, Joseph, I believe, made one mistake, and uh, Baker got sacked. All oh, that was quite clearly obvious from the stands. Yeah, but Greg Robinson
0: got a little over his skis, and they got right around the outside on him, yeah. I know which one you're talking about.
1: Yeah, but, but otherwise, yeah, I thought the island did well. Uh, and Juku, is there any reports yet? Um, is he going to be back for the next game?
0: So he, he left the game, obviously, with con- in concussion protocol, but I think, like, uh, within 20 or 30 minutes of the game ended, or right during the second half, he sent a tweet out saying, you know, I'm good to go. sucks I can't be out there with my guys, so... I'd be curious. I know that um, the Browns have some availability later, but other than Njoku, I didn't see any major injuries or anything like that. So I think they came out of the game pretty clean. But um, yeah, I, I haven't seen any reports on Njoku. Maybe I think that would be his first concussion. So he may be. Uh, it may be somebody he, who can be uh, back by next Sunday.
1: Yeah, I did. Th- I did think that the the depth of tire room. I stressed at the uh, during the off season, and it's something that. I'm a little bit worried about going into the rest of the season. I didn't think uh, obviously Brown came on late in the game and yeah, Harris seemed okay, but nothing exciting or I didn't feel Baker really trust him to throw the ball to him. And yeah.
0: Well, to build on that, actually what I I saw a lot is the tight ends, Farrell Brown, I think did pretty well on special teams. Um, I think he's showing a little bit of value there you know, Demetrius Harris had a couple of receptions. I think he was targeted two or three times at the no, one no, catch. No, it was no, called no, back in no, penalty. Gosh, um, he's more than your blocking standpoint, but a lot of times you can see the tight ends are running little crossing routes over the middle, a little out routes to the outside. And Baker will pass up that option. You know, a lot of times I saw him open underneath and yet Baker was like, I'm going to drive this ball downfield and go at Beckham or Landry. I mean, out of uh, Baker's 35 attempts, 20 of them were targeted. 17 of them went to Odell and Jarvis, while only, I think, three went to a tight end. If you count kind of the target to Farrell Brown, where I don't even think he knew the ball was thrown, you're talking about four. So you got three tight ends getting four targets, yet Odell and Jarvis got 17, and I believe Ratley had another three. So 20 out of uh, Baker's 30 targets were two wide receivers, while only four of them went to the tight ends, so. It's just one of those things yeah. where I think he looks past the tight end. Sometimes I think he needs to take that short pass, but he's looking to go, you know, 10, 15 yards further down the field.
1: Yeah, definitely as a, as a fan's view versus not watching on TV, in a stadium, drinking beer, eating tacos. It just didn't feel like there was a lot of uh, action going on in the tight end. And the uh, the tackle that I retweeted on Tajuku um, looked looked quite bad. And I'm, gl- I'm glad that he uh, he's tweeted in the fourth uh, – in the fourth uh, quarter that he's going to hopefully be okay and ready for uh, the big game against the Rams. But, in general, I I thought the offense was uh, relatively good. Obviously, Odell showed that pure world-class player that he is. Landry, I thought, could have caught a few more. Um, But otherwise, on special teams, it felt great him receiving the ball. You always feel comfortable with him catching the ball. There's no question marks. He's going to catch the ball. I think he was was frustrated with himself. I don't know if you saw this on TV. He was punching the ground a lot of the times where he didn't make good ground. So um, did you see that at all or not?
0: Yeah, in in the special teams game, I know that there was a couple punts where he didn't quite get his feet up and had a shoestring tackle. The one you're talking about, he was coming across midfield and he just kind of slipped on the MetLife turf. And I know he wasn't happy because I think he saw 10 or 15 yards uh, additional there. But overall, from a specialty standpoint, I thought he was fine. I mean, you know, we can get into that part. But, you know, the offense had pretty good balance on the first drive. Uh, Jarvis had a lot of targets early. I think he had two or three targets on the first drive. Uh, They went four runs, six passes on their way down. Um, Even on the slip screen on second and goal, they were trying to get the ball to him down the goal line. So you could see how frustration may be uh, mounting. But overall, I thought Baker did a pretty good job of getting him involved early. And then from there, kind of really kickstart to feature Beckham.
1: Yeah. And I thought if we look at the offense management, there's a few people online that are not happy with some of Freddie's calls. His timing seemed to be quite good. Getting the field goal, I think it was at the end of the second. Was, is that correct? Was
0: yeah, it, you're the was, halftime was, one? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, that was great uh, timing. And uh, there's, there's only one thing I was going to ask you, Ian, is that. We seem to, on four and four, keep trying to go for the penalty, making them play and getting a penalty. What's your thoughts on that?
0: So the theory behind that as, as a punter, the, the five-yard difference between that delay of game penalty is really inconsequential, and now defenses even have the option to decline it. So what you do is you come up, you try to get them on a hard snap. I don't know if you've seen it, but Peyton Manning – Aaron Rodgers, a lot of these guys will rush to the line like they're going to go for it, and they'll actually get defenders to jump. And so the whole point of that is a decoy play. They're not probably going to snap the ball 85% of the time, but the point is, is you want to try it up and just get a, a defensive lineman maybe off of his stance and get him to jump early to get that three, five yards. The Browns, it didn't work either time. They did it, um, but I, it has worked in the past. So that's the idea behind that.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, let, let's let's uh, move on to the defense. What was your headline's thoughts of the defense?
0: I thought the defense played very well. I think Miles Garrett is really showing the type of player that he can be. You know, I know that he had the two roughing calls. The first one, I guess I didn't, when I watched it back, you have an unblocked Miles Garrett who I'm not even 100% sure he was offside. If you watch the replay, he stands up as the ball's getting sacked. So I think the officials saw the motion, but he didn't really come forward, he didn't have a step. Joe Thomas always talked about with Garrett, his ability to uncoil from an ankle, from a lower body, to drive himself to get that explosion. And I think the one, he was definitely offsides, but this, the first one on the uh, one with siming in the end zone where it gave them a first round. I think he was on sides and he is running unblocked at the quarterback who threw a screen in behind him. And a half step later, he's hitting him to the ground. I mean, it just shows you the level of explosion that Garrett has. I thought Olivier Vernon was – Great against the run. I mean, you see that guy. He holds an entire side of the lineup. So you talk about setting the edge. The Browns for years struggled to really set the edge. Le'Veon Bell is one of the most patient running backs in the NFL. And if you don't set that edge and you let that backside open, he laterally is going to dance right to the outside. We saw it in Pittsburgh for years. He sits back there. So I thought Vernon's discipline really on the, uh, on the, on the back side was fantastic. And they kept moving him from side to side. And I think it was giving the run game for the Jets fits. And then the linebacking, I thought was outstanding. I thought Kirk, uh, Kirko played exceptional, running as a shadow to Bell on a lot of those screen passes. I and mean, I think he caught 10 passes for 60 yards. None of them were like in his stage in Pittsburgh where he breaks a tackle and 30 or 40 yards down the field, there he goes. I mean, I think Browns fans are very familiar with what Le'Veon Bell can do with the ball in his hands. Fantastic job by Krico and Schobert kind of cleaning up the messes. I know Schobert made a lot of great solo tackles uh, in the holes, really preventing him from getting at a second So fantastic job by the linebacker. Yeah, I can
1: second that. I thought uh, the running game against Bell, who was their main target throughout the whole game, we, we did very well to absorb. What he could potentially give us. My, I was yeah very happy with the defence, except for probably the um the, pa- the passing game, defence, the passing because it just seemed Ward. You got Miles Garrett who, who's going for MVP of the of the year, and then Ward just seems to be just doesn't seem to be at the same level as, as he started last
0: season. So I saw people putting that out kind of on the internet, like, "Hey, did Denzel Ward forget to cover?" I didn't notice it live. So when I went back and watched it, there was a few plays I thought he had fantastic coverage. I know that Robbie Anderson got him on the one; Uh, it was a comeback route on the sidelines. You know, these Robbie Anderson—if you remember right—he was in that hundred yards of gold or whatever. Is that this guy can run? I mean, he is fast, and Denzel Ward can run. So a lot of times, I think with Ward keeping the guys in front of you you're gonna give up 15 16 yard passes from time to time i know there was a couple plays where you know he got the best or they got the best of him but i thought in the same sense he got the best of uh, a lot of guys i mean jameson crowder last week had 14 catches i think this week he had four so okay. overall without Demarius randall back there i thought eric murray stepped up played pretty well um I thought that uh, Greedy Williams, I mean, Greedy Williams was mixing it up at the line. It was a couple times he was playing pretty solid right off the line. Um, I know he, they were getting under the skin of some of those Jets receivers, but uh, overall, I thought Greedy Williams really stepped up. I mean, did we hear Money Mitch one time get beat? So, overall in the secondary, I mean, the Jets scored three points. And, you know, I thought from a secondary standpoint, I didn't really see much until the end. The Jets, I think, had 45 total yards at halftime. And until that fourth quarter when they picked up some of the soft zone garbage time crossing routes, there really wasn't too much on the back end that I was displeased with. Um, so, overall, like I said, I give the defense a hard bet in the offense. But, you know, it just, they showed you what they can do with four guys. I mean, that, that pass rush, Larry Ogunjobi is a man amongst boys in there. I mean, him and Sheldon Richardson were just clogging up that middle. I mean, they were dominating the interior of that line, And it was impressive to watch.
1: It's gonna be super excited to the big test, the Rams on Sunday night. We will then see how our defense looks against the, yeah, that offense.
0: Absolutely, they have three solid receivers in Cooks, uh, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup. So, yeah, and they even have Gerald Everett, who's a solid tight end. So, yeah, they're definitely gonna be tested a little bit more. You know, Golf looked a little shaky in the first half against the Saints. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see how the Browns defense can really impact that, but these next games against the Rams the and the, Patriots, and the Ravens are really going to test what they can do. And uh, moving on to the special teams, how do you think we did? A plus. I thought the specialties get my highest grade. Um, I think Mike Prefer is really showing his value. Um, I mean, they had, I think of the five kicks, I think they returned three of them. I'm talking about the Jets. Their starting field position, I think they got 16 yards on the first return. Um, On the second one, they got a legal double-team block, so they started at the 12, and the third one, they started at the 19. So on the three times that they tried to return the ball on a non-touchback, they started inside the 20. That's fantastic. Um, I think we only had one return, one kick return for 20-odd yards. So, you know, I I do kind of fall in the jacks line where if the ball's three, four yards in the end zone, just take the knee. You know, I know Taiwan Taylor really wanted to probably try to – start the game off but take that 25 yard and let's go um but i thought cyber did a great job kind of pinning them right along inside the five and you know going a few yards deep and really challenging them do you want to come out um so from a kick return standpoint i thought cadrell hodge the kid we picked up from the rams made a couple really nice plays number 12 out there Um, so if people go back and watch you'll see he was really mixing it up on special teams so you know hats off to him punting standpoint the scottish hammer Six punts, five inside the 20, and his only return punt was for five yards. Whew, that's an impressive performance from, uh, from my fellow countryman, uh, the Scottish Hammer.
1: Yeah, I've got to say, in the stadium, he looked great. Um, I don't know if you can see, his kick seemed to real, go really high and spiral quite aggressively. So, um, yeah, so far... He hasn't uh, created any uh, fumbles from the other side, but yeah, I think on um, what I saw in the stadium was, looks very comfortable. It, when he was, even when he was holding, he seems to be super focused. They seem to have a good partnership. Uh, this morning, he's Instagramming, cyber, and I think, yeah, they've got a nice uh, team, uh, tight team there in the special team.
0: That That's good. And Uh, Yeah, they don't, unfortunately, wide pan the camera enough. I'm going to probably go back and watch the All-22s tomorrow to just see, you know, because I'd like to see his trajectory on some of those because the return units on the Browns seem to be getting down there and, you know, doing a heck of a job making sure that there's not a lot of return yards. And, you know, even on our punt return, I thought Jarvis, I know he was upset, but four returns, 48 yards, 12 on average. I mean, that's a first down on the bid. I think every special teams coordinator in the league would take that. Um, And Austin Cyber. You know, three for three. Um, I thought he looked good. You know, Preferred mentioned earlier in the week that he was stabbing his plant leg. And to kind of explain what that means to people. So your plant leg, obviously, when you're a kicker, you get two steps back and one step over at an angle. So you only have a three-step read-up. When you plant your left foot in Cybert's case down, if you stab inside of the ball, you're going to push it right. And if you stab outside, you're going to pull it left. So What'll happen is if you're golfing, think of a stab from a kicking standpoint is maybe somebody that cuts the ball. So if they come inside out, every time they hit the ball, it's going to tail, right? Or if you're too close to the ball, it's going to come from the inside out and it's going to have that hook effect to it. So I really was kind of watching Seibert from a plant standpoint and I thought he was consistent and every one of his balls was kind of st- smoothly stroked right down the middle. Even on his third field goal, I thought it was going to tail right and it just centered right out. So Cyber's really done a good job kind of listening to Prefer, taking that coaching, not stabbing that plant leg, and really able to kind of drive the ball straight down the pipes. I mean, I think those were good even in the rugby posts.
1: Yeah, he looked, uh, he looked uh, really good uh, kicking. looked very comfortable. Everything seemed to go straight down the middle. And, uh, yeah, as a Browns fan in the stadium, what is was it, four out of five now? You can, yeah. you can feel a bit more reassurance over Greg Joseph. And uh, he seems to have a better technique than Greg Joseph.
0: Yeah, I think there might be a little more consistency long-term. And I think that's the, the motto of the specialist. You have these young guys with high upside. And, you know, it's really kind of just about refining their skill set. Um, but you can tell. I mean, Browns teams in the past have lost games on the specialty side. And in this case, I think they're going to be difference makers. I mean, they won, they won all three facets of the game. But, you know, it's a little unfair to the Jets, considering they went from their second-string quarterback, Sim, uh, Trevor Simeon, to their third string quarterback, Luke Falk out of Washington state. So from an offense defense and special team standpoint, the Browns, you know, definitely won all three phases of the game, but I thought the one that stood out the most to me was the specialists. I thought that they really, they didn't allow the jets to do much of anything closely followed by the defense who did a heck of a job bottling up Le'Veon Bell. Um, you know, they Baker ended 19 of 35, 54% completion. I'd like to see that come up a little bit. He did throw for 325 yards which is about 17 in completion. Obviously, when you have an 89-yard house call, um, that helps the averages. I think his rating ended up at about an 83.6. So there's a little bit of room there on the offense. But, you know, the overall theme of the game was the Browns went out, won a game they were supposed to win. They did it in an emphatic fashion. I don't think at any point really in the second half did anyone think that, you know, I think maybe people were worried the Jets made backdoor cover from that standpoint. But outside of that, I don't think the game was really ever up for grabs in that second half. I thought the Browns imposed their will. They got, I mean, it was 16-3 at half. And, you know, when you have a guy like Beckham and you're able to utilize him like that, I mean, that's a finisher. And then you bring in Nick Chubb, the battering ram at home. That's the recipe for victory for the Browns. Get out to an early lead and then just really let the creativity and, you know, the ability to use your playmakers to steal the games. And that's kind of where I think in Tennessee they went away from it. They were constantly trailing. But letting the defense get their ears back, they have a lead, that's the recipe for success for the Browns this season. Uh, and I'm about to board in five minutes. Is there anything else you want to cover? Uh, yeah, last thing I want to cover, the Browns do have to be careful in one facet. You know, we saw Odell Beckham get pulled off the field on a third down uh, for his visor. The Browns are going to be the target of a lot of teams and officials. And, you know, there's all this talk about, jewelry and watches and all this nonsense that is really insignificant but the browns have to do a a good job of keeping their composure the jets were very physical with the browns in the you know downfield there was a lot of grabbing a lot of holding a lot of illegal contact that's not going to get called and they just have to make sure they keep their head keep their composure you know you're going up against these top tier teams if they lose their head and get a personal foul penalty you're talking about drive ending game changing type of penalties you know, so you can tell the emotions run high in the team and that's okay. You can play with passion, but at the end of the day, they have to make sure they stay under control. You know, Garrett's penalties are a little bit more of a technical standpoint. I know that they came out after the game and said that the one wasn't a late hit. It was more of where he hit him. So you can get into the nuances of that, but they got to do a really good job of just keeping their composure, not letting the league dictate to them because they are going to be a target. I mean, third and goal, you pulled Odell Beckham off the field for a shiny visor. That doesn't happen to any other team in the league. That is a target. Somebody said something. And what I thought was really kind of lowbrow about it was they already let 10 seconds come off the play clock. So there's only 15 seconds on the play clock when they stop it. Now the Browns have to change the play, change the package, change the formation, you know, and then they got 15 seconds to do it. So, you know, they just got to keep their heads. I know they're passionate guys, but, you know, keep their heads and just continue to play for
1: Yeah, when you're in a stadium, we had no idea what Beckham was getting told off for. So I went to the Monday Night football crew.
0: They, they were talking no. about Booger McFarlane was talking about the price of tea in China. I have no idea what he was talking about. He, they didn't know. Lisa Salter had to jump in after the ensuing kickoff to tell everyone what it was.
1: Well, a friend of a friend has got a Richard uh, Miller watch, uh, an orange one, just like Beckham's, identically the same. So I'm going to do an interview with the watch and uh, get some close ups and uh, yeah, learn more about the
0: watch. Well, That is impressive, but I know, I mean, it's a marketing thing. Listen, I'd never heard of this guy making watches until he did it. Rafael Nadal wears it at the U S open. Now Odell. Well, wears it? You know, let these guys build their brand. I I think that the media can spend a little bit more time covering things that matter as opposed to the, the choice of jewelry that Odell Beckham has in post game and during the game. I mean, I think there's bigger things we need to worry about. Let him play football and stop trying to bait him into doing some sort of reactions so you can, you know, write some stories. You won't get that kind of stuff here on the Paul Brown podcast, I assure you that.
1: Hell no, Ian. We'll get you worse gossip than that. No, I'm joking. So, uh, all right, great. Look, I'm going to go and um, jump on my train Train, plane. I'm so on over, Ian. It's been a crazy uh, 48 hours in uh, America. I believe the it. The problem is – Everyone just keeps giving me shots, and I'm like, Yeah, we gotta, we gotta, you
0: gotta stick to beer sometimes. But how's New York doing? Did you just see the news that Eli Manning got benched? I didn't see Daniel Jones.
1: When I went through securities, um, the security guys are giving me some banter because I was wearing a Browns jersey, like, Oh, you only wear it because you won. I was like, Come on, mate, I'll be wearing it if we lost.
0: uh, The Giants have benched Eli Manning, so it'll be the Daniel Jones show from now on out.
1: Interesting. I, I I don't know. I need, I need to see more of him. Um, I think if you look at the Browns, we've heavily invested in a franchise quarterback. I don't know if he is the franchise quarterback for the Giants. And some obviously the Steelers are going to be looking at with Big Ben out, maybe potentially retiring. Now, what is their strategy to get a new franchise quarterback? Are they going to go with Mason Rudolph or are they going to tank and try and get the best... Back they possibly can, but say no though they just traded for um Minka uh, what's he called? Yeah, last night. So um
0: I mean, maybe they're the, happy
1: with Mason. You the know, Steelers just,
0: have been using they, first round and second round picks on you know secondary help for years, and to get a guy like Minka, I mean, even if Mason's not the guy, they have him under control for I think three more years, and they got the the rookie option for the fifth year. So. From a salary camp standpoint, it makes sense to go get somebody of that playing ability for that pick. I mean, realistically, I think the Steelers, even with Mason Rudolph, are probably going to be, what, 12 to 20 in the draft order? Well, I mean, that's, that's well worth making Fitzpatrick. But I know they yeah. like Rudolph. I mean, you know, I have obviously – you know, Rachel is from Pittsburgh, so I hear a lot of stuff from there they like him. He's big. He can throw. So we'll see what he got. I mean, I don't think they're definitely going to fold the chips. They go out to San Francisco this week. So it'll be good to see, but I think he has the talent. You know, he was a big strong arm quarterback coming out of Oklahoma state. They, you know, invested a high pick on him. So I don't think the Steelers are going to be as doom and gloom as people want to make. them. Those are definitely not going to be too low. Uh, Ed, tell us where can we find your details ian19 on twitter I, I welcome all the supporters the haters whoever you are come on you know i know jack has a couple guys that always chirp at him with his takes so if you disagree with me on some things hey let me know about it i don't mind now, you travel safe though i know you're going to be boarding here shortly so you know let us know when you get back to the uk and uh what's what's the next thing you're coming back over for?
1: It'll uh, be coming home for the uh, Boston game, so um, that's end of October, so I've got five weeks now of doing what you do, watch it at home, actually see what's going on, and uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited to sort that noise in the background, I'm really excited just to get home and watch it at home, laptop on one side, TV, and really study what's going on.
0: Not have eight flights in nine days?
1: Yeah, this is my ninth flight in maybe ten days. I think so.
0: That's insane. That's insane. Well, you get home and we'll catch up with it, you know later in the week, buddy.
1: Awesome. And yeah, I'm gonna catch up with Jack tomorrow after his dentist, and I'll talk more then about what the atmosphere was like, what the tailgating was like, and uh, yeah, Jack's take on the game because I know he stayed up all night and watched it.
0: Awesome. All right, buddy. Travel uh, last,
1: last, last thirty seconds actually. There's a bit of negativity this morning on social media with the Browns yesterday. I think we've, we've come in, we've, we've come over to New York in a way, a way game and got a, a win. I think we should be positive on it.
0: With Browns fans, the sky, you know, is always falling. They want to go 16-0. So I agree. I thought the team looked good. You know, past teams don't win these games. They come into stadiums and they get overwhelmed. We got the players, we got the talent. You know, let them work it out. I mean, it's, it's going to get there. You know, you went up against a familiar face in Greg Williams, so I don't understand the doom and gloom either. It's that you know, have some more Browns Kool Aid, everybody. It's it's not it's not we're, bad we're gonna be fine.
1: And the other thing is, going to an away stadium, you realize how unloved you are. When you're playing at home, you get everything. Everything is in your favor. You don't get this in soccer. In soccer, it's kind of fair, more more fairer in NFL. It's drastic, you know. The home team gets so much more love. They get the fans. Every Everything is so geared up for the home team. And the away team get no love whatsoever.
0: Yeah. And a podcast for future, I'll tell you some of the stories of the away fans that I've seen come, going to different stadiums. So but you are 100% correct. There is definitely a home field and an away field disadvantage um, in the NFL. Yeah.
1: All right. Go browns, we got the win, victory Tuesday. I'll speak to you soon in, okay?
0: Thanks buddy, we'll talk soon.